Welcome everyone to the She Can Fix It podcast. My name is Dr. Alana Munger. This month, I wanted to switch it up a little bit. And instead of interviewing an orthopedic surgeon, I wanted to bring on the co-founder of the podcast, who happens to be my wife, Andrea Munger. Andrea is a film producer who has gone to both acting school and film school. When Andrea and I first met, we bonded over the lack of diversity in each of our respective fields. We also bonded over our passion for sharing stories that have the potential to bring about change. So for this episode, we will share the story of how we created the She Can Fix It podcast, as well as our thoughts on diversity and inclusion. I hope you enjoy this episode of the She Can Fix It podcast with Andrea and myself. Without further ado, Andrea, can you please describe your background, where hometown is, where you did all of your schooling, um, South Africa, Australia, United States, everything? Sure. Thank you for answering that question for me. You're most welcome. Um, Yes. So born and raised in Pretoria, South Africa. It is the capital city, which not a whole lot of people know. Moved to Australia when I was 16 because of my dad's work and then finished high school there. Moved back to South Africa to do my undergrad in ecology. Mm-hmm. Um, I did an honors degree there, which you guys don't have in the United States. You have a four-year undergrad and then a master's. Mm-hmm. We sort of have a three-year undergrad, an honors degree, which is like a mini master's, and then your master's degree. So I did my honors degree in plant science. And then after that, wanted to, I kind of realized that everyone else seemed more interested in plants than I did. So I wanted to take a year off to figure out if that's really what I wanted to do. Um, Enrolled in acting school in New York City and Mm -hmm. then moved to New York City to go to acting school, which is where I realized I was far better behind the camera than in front of the camera. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still decided to continue my environmental science education for whatever reason. I think at that point, maybe I just felt like I had committed too much time to it to mm-hmm. just you know, let it go to waste. So started my master's in environmental management at Sacred Heart University. Once again, realized everyone in the room was far more passionate about it than I was and then enrolled in film school at Sacred Heart as well. Mm-hmm. Your acting school in New York is of a certain name. And I remember I was trying to tell someone the name of the acting school and I forgot it. The Lee Strasberg Theater and Film Institute. And he was sort of the father of method acting in the U.S. There it is. I remember I was trying to explain something to the OR where you went, and I was like, it's a famous, famous actor. Yeah, Mar- well, he, I don't know if you, how famous he was. Yeah, he was in, like, one of the Godfathers or two of them or something. Yeah. Marilyn Monroe went there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I got, I had classes from some someone who actually went there during the time Marilyn Monroe went there. Oh, wow, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Mm. Jeffrey Horn. Oh. He was great. He's probably still there. I think he's still there. No. And then um, you and I met here in New Haven, Connecticut, 
And I think we actually bonded over the fact that both orthopedic surgery as well as film, there is a lack of gender diversity. Yes. And I think similar to orthopedic surgery, film not only has a lack of gender diversity, but also a lack of racial and ethnic diversity. True. Um, so, yeah, we, we, we bonded over that at our first date at Cask Republic. Yes. Rest in peace. Mm-hmm. It is, yeah. The Lumineers were playing. Lumineers were playing. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't, I mean, I think I didn't realize, I, I sort of realized that the medical field, sometimes one assumes is more male oriented, mm-hmm. even though that's not true. I guess it's not true. But what I didn't, I thought that all sorts of medicine kind of was more male oriented, which was probably my own biases. Like male predominated. Yes. Meaning yes. Yes. Which is not the case because truth. But what I didn't realize that is that, which makes total sense, certain subspecialties make up for the lack in other subspecialties. But orthopedics is not one of them. That is a true statement. Orthopedics is one that pulls it in the other direction. Yes, we're in last place. Um, And I think we talked about how you were primarily working as a cinematographer when you first kind of started doing your jobs and like, you know, like the films that you did. Whereas women in film were often kind of put in the category of producer and like given those roles, whereas you operating the camera and doing cinematography was something that was not of the norm. Yeah, and I I think so as an example, you know, when I went to film school, there was I I did very well Mm -hmm. in school. I, you know, was one of the top in my class my thesis film won best thesis film Mm -hmm. so clearly not terrible at what I did um but there was one professor that every time uh there would be an opportunity for students to work on productions would automatically put me with uh the catering people the people who took care of the food Mm -hmm. which is a quite literal way of putting women back in the kitchen (laughs) Um, And it was just very interesting to me that some, you know, I have very talented male fellow students, some whom very much deserve to operate the camera, but, you know, that didn't mean that I didn't deserve it. True. True. And then you and I, we were driving back from the Berkshires and we were listening to a podcast And we wanted to, I think I, yeah. I I wanted to, I thought, Mm -hmm. I'm I'm taking credit for the podcast idea. Okay, I think we can share that credit, but yes, go for it. Well, yeah, so I wanted you to interview fellow doctors inebriated. (laughs) I thought it would be funny if, uh, you know, people who are, sort of always forced to be a certain way and very like patient facing and filtered filtered and you know Mm -hmm. not telling people certain things to their faces that they very much might need to hear right 
Um, I thought it would be funny if you interviewed such people, but their filter was removed by alcohol. Yes. Yeah, so for our listeners, there's a show called Drunk History. Yes. Where literally historians get intoxicated. No, no. No, they're not historians. They're regular folk. They have, yeah, they have regular people. And I think there's some where they have famous actors. Yes. But they have regular people get drunk and recollect like what happened at Plymouth Rock and Mm -hmm. you know like what happened when what was the first Thanksgiving about right and like have really drunk people tell the story of what they can you know and it's just really funny it is really funny and then I um informed the car uh because I think Luna was in there with us. Our dog. No, we did not have Luna. We yet. did not. Okay. Anyway, I informed the car, which included you and me, that this was probably not a great idea in order to ensure job security for the future. And instead of doing a drunk medicine podcast route, we decided to focus more on diversity in orthopedic surgery. Um, and what's interesting is that you and I both did not have any experience creating a podcast. Um, no. And I think um, we didn't have an experience, any experience technically, which we found out was a little bit more challenging. Not, yes. Not necessarily than we thought. I think we, I don't think we thought it would be easy. No. But um, I'll be honest, I did not anticipate how much work it would be to get it off the ground. I was like, all right, I'll look on the internet. And then, yeah, no, it was a lot more work. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, I also probably didn't think that we would have. It's funny because now I, because of the podcast, me, a simpleton mm-hmm. film person. Right. Um, actually now know of the quote unquote celebrities in the female ortho world. You do. And it's sort of interesting how you and your you know how, how it's funny how like the people i look up to are the the female directors the right you know sofia coppola's and greta gerwig who greta gerwig oh greta gerwig yeah. i thought you said greg erwig like, oh, who's God. Greg Irwig? <laughs> that's not a female <laughs> no yeah greta gerwig uh those people you know and and you know it's just funny to think that in your world there are people because because my world very much is is like public. Yes. Like the 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 general public knows who Greta Gerwig is. Yes. Most of them, some of them. Whereas like the general public does not know who Claudia Thomas is. Right. But in your world, she's a rock star. Yes. And it's very it was very interesting to start thinking about these women that way. Yes. And I think what's different in my world is that I have the opportunity to speak to my idols in the sense that I think it's like, I'm able to, you know, through connections and such, like send these folks emails and these people are so nice enough to accept and I'm able to talk to them. Um, Yeah. yeah. Which is a bit of a burden in the film world when you know, she gets 4 million emails, probably. One That's of them. true. But, but that doesn't actually, you know, I think that doesn't mean there aren't everyday female role models in the film world. True. You know, there are 
people at my own company that I think are incredible filmmakers and producers and directors. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just the other sort of interesting difference is there's a lot of, I guess, luck involved in the film world. Yes. And I'm, I'm sure there's luck involved in your, the job you get Mm -hmm. or where you end up in, um, residency or fellowship and those sorts of things there must be some sort of luck involved but it's very much if you complete certain levels of education right and you excel at that and you have certain it's like very qualification based you cannot physically become an orthopedic surgeon without having completed a certain amount of steps and education Mm -hmm. whereas you know especially now with film you don't have to go to film school. You don't have to go to acting school. So I think you sometimes meet people in the film world that are as talented as a Sofia Coppola or an Ava DuVernay or, you know, these right. people, but they're just not, they don't have the connects to, mm-hmm. to become those people. Right. That doesn't mean they don't have satisfying jobs. I love my job and I think it's incredibly satisfying. I'm just saying it's, there's a difference between how you get to where you want to be in a creative industry versus in a, I guess, more academic oriented industry. I think for me, I knew that I, I don't know if I knew, but in, in looking back on my path to become a surgeon and literally it's very regimented and there's, there's like a, and you're very regimented. I am very regimented and there's very much like steps that must be followed. And it's kind of, I I like it because it's this path and I understand what the requisites are for the path. Mm -hmm. Whereas I think in your field, it's, it's just so like, oh my goodness. It's yeah. But true or false, the, the requisites that you have had to encounter or have had to, you know, complete. If you had just completed the requisites, Mm -hmm. That does not make you a great surgeon or physician. Yes. And it's, I think what I'm learning more and more is that whilst it is, yes, you have to do med school, you have to do a residency, you probably have to do a fellowship. Yes. Um, So those are things you have to do. Mm -hmm. Much like I, and I think this is where I'm starting to understand that it's not as dissimilar to film because in order to be a great director, you have to be able to talk to actors in a way that makes them understand what you want from them. Mm-hmm. You have to be able to understand where to place cameras to tell your story. Mm-hmm. So it's just that it's not as finite as completing tests or completing. Right. So, but I, but I think what I'm trying to get at is you can complete all of the education and that, and still be a subpar physician. Mm-hmm. And it's the little things that you do, like how you interact with patients, right? How you are able to interact with your fellow physicians and your fellow medical staff, and mm-hmm. that, amongst many other things, makes you a great physician. Yeah. Well said. Thank you. Mm. I've only spent four years with you. That's true. <laughs> I think one of my favorite stories of us in creating the podcast was how we created the logo. <laughs> Cause I think that was literally 
just pure like creativity in the sense that at the time we were in a lofted apartment in downtown New Haven and on Amazon, we bought black um, sheets and we bought a bone box and literally like created each of the letters out of these bones from the bone box. I arranged the letters um, where you used the bones to arrange the letters. And then you got your camera from the loft part of our lofted apartment and basically shot video. And we actually have like movement sequences that we have yet to use of the letters like coming in and like going away and all these sorts of things. It is in some of the initial episodes that we released also on YouTube. That's true. I think I've taken those down. Uh, mm. Well, yeah, where we have like a, graphic of time it. lapse yeah of, of it coming in and out yeah yeah but. yeah but that was that was that was fun because that was I mean and which is also part of why we created the podcast because it's not often that our worlds intersect truth and so it was kind of fun to be able to do something together where we got to film and mm-hmm. do medical things and right <laughs> um yeah, I, I mean, I know I was very particular about how it was supposed to look. And then I think you got m- more particular. I did. And and now we have this, this logo. I know. It's a, it, I love the logo. Yeah, I think uh, creatively, there are a few things that maybe I would have changed. Mm. Maybe I would have changed the shape of certain bones. Mm. Like in, in our efforts to be medically accurate, I think, Hmm. but it's great. I I think it's great. (laughs) I do want to talk about kind of the ways in which film has tried to increase diversity in its field. Specifically, I remember when we used to watch the Academy Awards and watch the Academy Awards films before our son was born. Yeah, when we still had time. When we still had time to do these things. Um, I remember there's, I think it was um, the Hollywood Reporter would have their like round table discussions with the directors and with the, like the female actors. And I used to love watching those things because I loved the way people talk about the creative process and how they did things and um, I remember it was the roundtable discussion of all the female actors and talking about, you know, how there could be efforts to increase diversity. And I remember, um, and I'm blanking on her name, but it's the woman who um, is the lead actor in Jane the Virgin. Um, mm, I'm blanking on her Gina name. Gina Rodriguez or something. I think so, yeah. Um, and she talked about how, like, it's, People always make this more complicated than it really is. All you do is you grab a camera, you put it in the room, you put a woman in front of it, you shoot it, you produce it. That's how you increase diversity. Mm -hmm. And I think what I love about this podcast is I feel like this has that sort of feel to it where there was this empty space in the realm of diversity and orthopedics. And it was just something where we're just like, we're just going to do it. You know what I mean? We're going to take someone who has absolutely no prior history of interviewing other folks and folks who have never created a podcast before. 
And we're just going to grab, you know, go on the internet, look this up and just like do it. Yeah. And I think what's interesting about that is it's very true. First of all, it's, you know, just instead of continuously talking about can women do it? Can women tell stories that the masses want to watch? Do people care? Mm -hmm. All those really, really kind of dumb questions. Um, like just put it to the test and, you know, I think like with Patty Jenkins and Wonder Woman, she proved that women directing action movies can be done and can be done very successfully. Mm -hmm. And just as many people watch that as the amount of people that'll watch Thor or any other. Right. Big Marvel. Yeah. What have you. Um, you know, and I think the the other question that minorities in positions that they're technically not stereotypically supposed to fill mm-hmm. get asked often is, you know, what do you did you understand the impact that this would have, and mm-hmm. were was that your intention? And I think oftentimes, what you'll find in in the film world is the stories that have the most impact are stories that were just being told. They Mm -hmm. didn't actually, if you set out to tell a story that's supposed to change someone's mind, you most likely will fail because you're not going to be authentic. You're not going to just tell the story you want to tell. You're going to have this ulterior motive of someone who has these biases Mm -hmm. will see this and this will change their mind. Right. And I think that is so many steps removed from the story that it's not even going to begin to have that impact and it's going to feel false and it's going to feel you know when you see when you when you see pieces of art or even commercials or and it just seems so fake the diversity that they're trying to promote yes and you can tell it's just it's literally just someone a, in the marketing department. Someone was like, in the marketing department. We, we need person. a woman in there. We need a gay person in there. We need a person of color in there. And if you can feel that the, you can see that decision being made on screen right. and it feels fake. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think that's what I love about basically the podcast is you, yeah, you talk to all these women about diversity, but if you were just, if the podcast was just talking to these women about, you know, what does it mean to be a minority in your field and how are you promoting diversity and all these things, Mm -hmm. people would get so bored and it would get preachy. Instead, you're promoting how badass these women can be simply by talking about what great surgeons they are. Right. And obviously there are moments where you interview them about diversity and Mm -hmm. as you should, because it's yeah. you know but but it's one question out of the 15 to 20 that you ask them mm-hmm. and i think that's why you get and you can talk about this but you've heard from men who listen to the podcast right. you've heard from you know young women who weren't sure if they were supposed to go into orthopedics mm-hmm. you've heard from people in asia you've heard you know and i think that's a testament to just how entertaining it is and I mean, hell, I've had people in my industry <laughs> listen to it because it's relatable. Right. No, I think it was you and I kind of set out to tell the stories 
of these individuals. And I think honestly, a turning point for us, or at least maybe for me, I don't know, I don't want to speak for you, but in making this podcast was the episode with Dr. Claudia Thomas, because I think she was episode eight or something. But like before that, I think I was so nervous because I'd never interviewed people in my life. And I kind of wanted to expose people to the fact that, you know, there are eight different subspecialties within orthopedic surgery. And everybody has like a different origin story of how they wanted to do orthopedic surgery. And it wasn't until the Dr. Thomas episode where I think it kind of something in my mind changed because of the fact that we like got to some deeper topics, I felt like. It was the first episode where, you know, I, and she was, you know, very, very, first of all, I'm so grateful that she, you know, allowed us to interview her and allowed us to spend that hour with her. Um, And I was literally able to ask her, have you faced more sexism or more racism in your career? And kind of allow her to speak about it. And I think that was, you know, I remember she was telling a story of what a male surgeon had said to um, one of her colleagues. And, you know, in telling the story, the male surgeon basically said a swear word. And as she was telling the story, she said the swear word. And I remember you and I, after the, we recorded the episode, I was like, do I, do we need to cut this out? Like, it's going to be an explicit episode. And I remember you were saying like, no, like you, what, you know, we are here to tell the stories and how, how this, how Dr. Thomas experienced this and sharing that is just so important. And I think for me, I was so grateful for that moment because I was just like, okay, like we got to tell these stories, you know? And I think that kind of allowed us, at least for me, that was a changing point in us making the podcast because it was kind of, yes, exposing the world to the diversity amongst the women who choose to do orthopedic surgery, but also kind of also went into some deeper topics as well, Um, which I, I truly do. I am appreciative of that because I really think it, it really allows us to be authentic and share these stories. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, if I think it's, yeah, when people get raw and they get sort of emotional and they get, if you, if you decide to cut that out to be PC, well, yeah, I guess PC, I guess if, if you, yeah, but yeah, it's, it's, that's when you kind of lose because you don't want to make all these women sound the same by editing them. Right. And, you know, I think that's another thing that is kind of great is we, we do minimal editing. Certainly here and there, someone fumbles and they're, they're like, okay, I'm going to start that over. Right. Um, But very rarely does anyone ever say, I'm not supposed to say that please Mm -hmm. cut it out. Right. Credit to them for, for not being, I guess, not scared is, is a too strong of a word, but for not caring. 
Right. You know, for I think I think that's what that's one of the biggest things I always take from listening to while I'm editing mm-hmm. this is like these, you know, uh, one would think that some of the things that get said has repercussions maybe. Mm-hmm. Um and maybe it doesn't because maybe it doesn't for some women cuz they're so established, but Right. But I think you know, you've interviewed residents, you've interviewed younger mm-hmm. physicians and um and it's kind of nice that they're like, well, I don't care who listens to this. This is what I have to say. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, we're coming to a point in time in orthopedic surgery where we're allowed to talk about these things. And it's a sad statement to think that like five, 10 years ago, people weren't not that they weren't allowed to talk about it, but it wasn't something that was um, so not well received, but better received, you know, at the national societies, they're talking about burnout. They're talking about um, diversity efforts and inclusion efforts and all these sorts of things. So I think that what I honestly hope is that these discussions, these committees, it's not just something that's in vogue. You know, it's not just something that we're talking about it just because of the fact that it's popular to do so. You know, I I do hope that this is something where people are realizing that it's going to take a cultural change, which I do think has happened, but it's, it's something that needs to be sustained in order for us to truly embrace these ideals. Yeah, and I mean, I think that certainly goes for film and the entertainment industry. I think, mm-hmm. you know, ironically, the entertainment industry has always been considered on the very liberal side in terms of views. Right, right. Um, but it doesn't necessarily get reflected in uh, the crews that work on films mm-hmm. or the people behind the scenes. Um you know, and I think I certainly have worked for and with and on various projects and companies and, you know, superiors throughout my life. And I think my life, my in my years as <laughs> in film. Um, and I think it's very interesting because I've worked on projects where we've had, you know, where, where we've had clients that say, can we, you know, we're really looking to cast a male of mixed Mm -hmm. race, a mixed race male. Right. You know, and these conversations get very, very awkward because you'll sit there as a white person talking to a white person and everyone in the room is white and you're discussing Casting. Casting a person of color because of optics. Right. And I think, you know, I've also worked for places that um, only discuss projects that include diversity as a means to an end, as a means to either increase the company profile Mm -hmm. or because it's a financially very beneficial project right um so I can you know and I'm, I can truly say like where I'm at right now um 
at Diagonal Media, it's it's one of the few times where I felt like I worked for a company who like walks the walk and doesn't yes. just talk the talk or whatever the saying is. Yeah. Like, um, it's a it's a it's a group of genuine people who genuinely care, and mm-hmm. um, we take on the projects about diversity, whether it's you know sexual diversity or you know gender diversity or right um and we will take those projects on even the ones that have no financial gain because right and that makes you kind of it's it's the kind of thing where you know it makes you want to get up and go to work that day because mm-hmm. even the harder days the longer days the you know crazier days you feel like you're working with people who care and you feel right. like you're working towards things mm-hmm. that maybe will matter and make a difference you know you never know but um and i think that's what's something great with what you found at not only at yale mm-hmm. but also with the podcast is you find your people the yes. people that you enjoy talking to mm-hmm. and enjoy you know the people that inspire you on a day-to-day basis it's not the like the Greta Gerwigs or the right. you know but those people in your everyday life that make you want to be better mm-hmm. because they're better right no it's it's so true and I, I can't express enough gratitude for just the amazing work environment that I'm allowed to be a part of you know being a gay woman in orthopedic surgery being an open gay woman in orthopedic surgery it's just not something that's as common. And yet I'm able to go to work and like, just focus on the job at hand. And I'm allowed to talk about, you know, what we did this past weekend and, you know, how Noah was playing with like the kitchen bowls and he's our, he was bit at daycare. He was bit at daycare today. (laughs) (laughs) My favorite quote of that, like, Noah was a little surprised. Oh my, god. oh my god and he has a mark on his poor arm it's he has lovely daycare friends i we know. don't know which friend did it but yes but yeah you're allowed to talk about yeah dad. i'm allowed yeah. to talk you know and i was able to show videos of him i was able to show and i'm able to show just our lives and share everything that we're doing and people get excited for us and it's never this thing where i have to think about like oh my god what you know can i say this you know can i can i reveal this aspect of my life and it truly allowed and i i honestly you know want that sort of environment to be national you know i think i'm international oh i'm sorry yes international um truly like i i would love for it to be international i would love to be able to no matter who you are like come to work and just and work like, you know, talk to, you know, human being to human being, being able to just focus on treating patients and not have to worry about like, are they going to be mad at me? Cause I have to go, you know, pump right now in order to feed my child, or are they going to be, you know, what are they going to say when they find out I'm gay? You know, those sorts of things that that's, that's the goal truly. Yeah. And I think it's funny cause I always think even as gay people, we have a little bit of an advantage in terms of uh, 
you're just taking being gay. You're if you're a woman and you walk into a job interview, you can't hide the fact that you're a woman. True. If you're a person of color and you walk into a job interview, you cannot hide the fact that yeah. you're a person of color. So I've always I guess maybe that's also what makes it sad. That's that's why you know people can be in the closet is because you can hide that. Mm-hmm. Um and I think I've certainly in certain places used that to my advantage, which is a terrible thing to say. Right. Like I remember when we were engaged, there are people that I was so happy that I could say my fiance because mm-hmm. it was gender neutral. Right. So I wouldn't have to deal with any yeah. shock reaction if I say my wife, my mm-hmm. girlfriend, you know, it was for the however many months we were engaged in random places where I didn't know how people would react, I could just say my fiance. And right. If they assumed you were a man, then depending on the situation, I would let it go. Or, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, I mean, that's, I don't, I'm not really making a point now, but no, I, you know, I, it's, yeah. it's, it's kind of, I think what I'm trying to say is there, there are other, you know, minorities who, don't have sometimes the luxury of hiding the privilege of being able it's not a privilege to be able to hide I guess because it means you have to hide right but you know they're those people who they they have to walk into a room and everyone can see right oh you're a woman and I have certain biases about that right or you're a person of color and I have certain Mm -hmm. biases about that you know I think the one thing that people don't realize about being a gay physician is that um, you have many kind of almost these like mini coming out moments. You know, I think that in the media, they kind of focus on the big coming out moment uh, where you come out to your family and friends, which is a true kind of anxiety producing moment and people have different um experiences with that you know i think uh you and i were both very very fortunate in which we come from just our amazing families and friends who were very very supportive of us um which is not the case for everybody um but when in what i've experienced at work is that you have these kind of mini coming out moments and so i've had patients um tell me that like Oh, your um, your husband is so lucky he has you, and it, you're just yes, like, I am. yeah, I know. I don't correct them though. I don't <laughs> say like, I'll right. I'll let my wife know, you know. And I remember when we were engaged, and I was walking around with a ring on my finger. People would ask me, "Oh, what does your husband do?" Or you know, when are you and your husband getting married? And that's the little kind of mini coming out moment where even I'm here at, you know, incredible, incredible Yale where they're so supportive. It's anxiety producing where you're just like, I don't know how this person's going to take this, you know, or is it even worth, you know, it's like, is it even worth correcting? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's the one thing that I've experienced as a gay physician. Like I haven't had the, you know, name calling anything like that. But there is a little bit of some anxiety that sometimes comes with when you officially come out to a colleague or what have you. And there is always, you know, the patient who just assumes that you're straight and, you know, makes comments here and there. 
Um, but I think what I'm proud of is kind of the way that we are, I don't know if this is us telling our story, but I feel like we're doing it kind of like the Shit's Creek way in the sense that in media, there are stories in which like the LGBTQ community, their stories focus on the adversities and the issues they face because homophobia exists and it kind of tells those stories which are very important yes they're very very important stories um but i also think it's important to kind of share the world in which you know there's individuals of the lgbtq plus community are they're human beings, you know, and I think that's what Shit's Creek does, um, where they're basically a lot of the stories that they tell um, and focus around um, these two individuals um, are very positive and are mm-hmm. ones in which they're kind of dealing with the issues that any human being would deal with. Yeah, well, there's this there's this stereotype in... I think thing that has been pointed out in film where characters are often only one minority. Hmm. Like they'll, you know, there's like, okay, there's the token person of color character. Right. There's the token gay character, but there's never a gay person of color character. Mm-hmm. What, I, what I like is there's now enough content about the LGBTQ community that there's actually some things I haven't watched. Like, it sounds funny, but, like, it used to be, like, oh, my God, there's a show about gay people. Or there's a movie with lesbians. Like, we have to watch it. I guess the L word when it first came out. Sure, yes. I never watched that. You didn't? Oh, okay. Um, But, yeah, but, but yes. Um, And now it's, like, oh, there's there's quite a few shows and movies about gay people. And Mm -hmm. I can pick and choose the ones I want to watch and the good ones and the bad ones. Right. there's enough content out there that you can choose, first of all, and that I think the more and more content is out there, the more it's going to get normalized. Mm-hmm. Um, in certain industries more than others, I think yes. um, there will always be countries and continents where it's harder to be gay than others. Right. Um, and even in our own backyard, like the co-owners of Troop literally got... Um, assaulted yeah, which is a gay bar in Connecticut which that is, we've been to that we like, have been to a bunch um, of times and it's 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 sad that yeah. even in our own backyard people are assaulted for it yeah and so I think telling the stories being the surgeons that are badass surgeons who are female and gay and you know Asian and black and everything in between you know you'll through, through just who you are, you will inspire people and you'll kind of force change. And I think if you're an incredible female filmmaker, then it's hard to ignore you. If you're an incredible right. female physician, it's hard to ignore you. Mm-hmm. Speaking of which, I think now is the part where I would love to talk about what you and I would like to see this podcast, where you would like to see it go our goals with this. I think for me, I want to continue to continue to tell these stories um, and share them. And I think it's been nice where we've gotten some international surgeons as well. 
which has been truly illuminating. And I think it started with um, Dr. Marie Tiart because I wanted to add the South African influence. Um, and it's been nice because we had Dr. Jennifer Green as well. Um, and we have some other international folk coming up. Um, but what else would you like to see on the podcast? Putting me on the spot here. I just let the record show I had mentally prepared you for yeah, these I know, questions. But, I know, but I mean, here's the thing. I've always said I think it could be interesting to interview some male surgeons. Right. It's that, you know, that that kind of cliche saying of in order for gay people to have rights, straight people have to fight with them mm -hmm. in order for Black Lives Matter to be an effective movement white people have to care about it right in order for you know this in order for women to have rights enough men have to get on board mm -hmm. um so i think i've always thought that could be an interesting thing is where are some of the men maybe fighting for diversity in the field there's a lot um which is i mean what's great is that there's so many um and i think it, it kind of ties back to kind of a recurring theme that many uh, folks have said on this podcast where they were, they had both female as well as male mentors. And it's not just kind of this whole, you must have a female leader in order to become a female surgeon. Like it really is this, you know, a lot of the, like the, the surgeons who inspired me to go into orthopedic oncology are all male. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think it's, it's, it is a story that should be told and I shall tell it. Yeah. I mean, I think we both, I, I it's funny because I think um, I actually never knew that sexism existed until I got a bit older. Mm -hmm. And I'm saying that's a positive thing because I think for me, and I know for you as well, we both grew up with dads, I mean, parents, but like, you know, I, my dad always not even telling me I can do whatever right. a man can do, just expecting it of me almost. Yes. And I think that like expectation that you are going to do mm -hmm. whatever men do. Right. Was sort of, so I never felt like, you know, I was never set up for almost the shock mm -hmm. of understanding that there is a uh, gender bias because my dad never made me feel that way. Yeah. And, um, Yes, both of our dads are engineers, and the same is true for my dad, where I, I'd never, ever, ever thought like, oh, I couldn't do a certain, like, job because of my gender. Mm -hmm. um, and what was funny is, you know, he's an engineer, and so he wanted me to be an engineer as well. And I remember... That's an I'm just a disappointing I, surgeon. I literally am. And I remember <laughs> I even toyed with the idea of bioengineering in order to try to make him happy. But it was, um, yeah, let the record show half of me going into a scientific field was to make my dad. <laughs> so there's also that there's also been, I think uh, you're right in that we both were just had such amazing supportive parents where we weren't told or like our expectations were never changed in terms of what we could or could not do based on our, or on who we were as, as human beings. So what I would love to go into is a modified final five. Um, 
where I'm going to add a little bit of a flair to it. Mm. Um, what are your top three favorite films? Why does it have to be three? I don't know. I just, I thought that you would be upset if I just said pick one. So I said three. So I'm going to do three. So, okay. Mm. Favorite film from just a directing standpoint and one that I can watch over and over again. Yes. Is Silence of the Lambs. Mm -hmm. And I think it's an incredible study of the human condition and, you know, um, has a strong female lead truth um so i'm also a fan of thrillers and horrors in general so put that one on there mm-hmm. um i'll do a favorite musical oh rocky horror picture show fantastic yes tis the season right now tis the season um i was probably shown rocky horror picture show far too young <laughs> Um, Was that your grandmother? No, she showed me Halloween, which scarred me for life. Um, No, my parents. um, I I remember like my dad doing the time warp with us in the living room. Oh. And I mean, at that point, I had absolutely no concept of what a transsexual was or any of, you know, I didn't actually understand how progressive. Right. Weirdly, it was for, you know, just like there's a bunch of fun, quirky people and they're singing to great music. Um, Oh, my God. Uh, number three I'll do let's do a favorite franchise which is I I would say Harry Potter I think Mm -hmm. Harry Potter is my favorite franchise I mean it's yeah I can't pick three but yeah sure let's go with musical franchise and just random favorite film well done um Mm. what is your favorite procedure to perform and have you done it? I have. Okay. And my favorite is actually a femoral nail because of the fact that the femur is literally one of the strongest bones in the body. And you can literally fix this bone with these dinky little percutaneous incisions. And what I love is that patients are literally able to walk on their leg immediately after surgery. For me, it just blows my mind that something, the amount of force, you know, in trauma, the amount of force it takes to break the femur, and yet you're able to put it back together with, you know, you hope basically small incisions and they're walking on the next day. Or in my world of oncology, you have someone who has pain because they have a pathologic lesion in their femur. And you kind of have that micro motion of bending and then you literally throw the nail down and they're walking on it and they're so happy. And so I think for me, it's a procedure where um, certainly as a chief, I feel comfortable doing. And so I do them and it's something where I love how happy patients are the next day. And I think it's just so cool where it's just the, you know, you use x-rays to put something in. Okay. That's very interesting. Thank you. How about what do what activities do you like to do outside of producing? 
I like spending time with my wife. God, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, no, it's true. I, I love going on little adventures with you. And mm-hmm. now with Noah, our adventures have gotten a little earlier. Like, yes, they can no longer be as late at night as they were. But mm-hmm. um, very much enjoy traveling. Yes. Uh, you know, we took Noah to South Africa when he was only six months old. Yes. Um, so that was fun. I feel much better as a person when I work out. Mm -hmm. So I don't enjoy the act of working out necessarily, but I enjoy how I feel afterwards. Mm -hmm. And then obviously what I love about my job is I get to watch movies and pretend like it's a part of your job education. Yes. Yeah. So that's kind of fun. It is, it is education. Yes. But sometimes I watch guilty pleasure things and I pretend it's education. Mm. Um, how about you? I also enjoy doing our adventures. Um, and I think that it's been fun to kind of see now our son is nine and a half months. I think he's actually closer to 10 months. What's the day's date? The 17th? Yeah. So he's 10 months and three days. Okay. So he's actually 10 months old. All right. So our son, who is almost 10 months old at this point. I love how kind of you see him interacting more with the world and taking things in. And I love kind of exposing him to the world literally and having him enjoy it. And it truly is just like, like the absolute joy, like fake running from the car to the mailbox. This like when I got him from daycare and he just so she's like oh my god we're running this is amazing you know and just it's just it his yeah. his smile just brightened up and the his world. uh he would have had a far easier time answering the what's your favorite film question it is 100 percent encanto oh my word um and i i do love also um traveling because i think that it's so important and i thoroughly do enjoy it what do we hope for the future? Oh my God, just the future in general? That's a, in general. That's a broad question. Well, it, it's, it's gonna... our, that's our final question. Uh, what do we I'm, hope for the future? One word, just happiness. Oh. I think, yeah, just life's too short to not be happy. It sounds very cliche, but I think finding things every day that you, that make you not want the day to end. I, I am looking forward to continuing to kind of go on our adventures. And it, I think it's very easy, especially as a resident physician, to try to like kind of take a step back and just kind of stay in the house, study, um, kind of do more things that are at least within my comfort zone. But I really do appreciate that you try to make sure that we embrace the chaos and is it technically slightly chaotic to go on adventures with a 10 month old and a two-year-old labradoodle puppy it is but we still you know take them to the farmer's market together and you know do these sorts of things and so i do appreciate the fact that we continue to just you know go on our adventures 
little baby adventures to oh. the farmer's market to the farmer's market <laughs> you're saying like it's like we hiked everest we just took our dog and our child to the farmer's market <laughs> let the record show it felt like we went to everest and back. yeah but yes i agree that's very nice of you we did take our six-month-old to south africa yeah no i know okay okay on that note on that on that note don't my word Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the She Can Fix It podcast with me and my wife, aka The 18. Please subscribe to our podcast to show your support. Another way you can provide support and keep this podcast up and running is to donate. You can visit our website at www.shecanfixitpod.com and visit our donation page. I want to take this time to thank my editor, co-producer and co-founder Andrea Munger without whom this podcast would not be possible. Thank you so much for listening and please stay safe.